Welcome to the latest edition of First Date Copites podcast. Um, we're joined, excited to be joined by Andrew Beasley, um, author of, amongst other things, From 18 to 19, which we're going to do a hopefully a deep dive into today, looking at some of the stats behind Liverpool's epic win, uh, championship win last year. Um, Sean and I have got quite a few questions about this season's data. So we'll, we'll, what we'll do is we'll look back at things that we talked about last year and things we did and maybe things we're not doing this year. We are recording this on uh, February 21st, um, the day after Liverpool lost to Everton at Anfield for the first time this century. Um, <laughs> 22 years. Um, I, my, my sister's never Tony and I should say, and she texted me. She never texts me about football, never. Um, and so my reply to her was, well, the world must be ending now. So <laughs> anyway, um, uh, one other quick thing, nice plug. Uh, I can see you're wearing your shirt, t-shirt, short. Yep. Nice yep. plug to Daz for uh, these really cool shirts that he sent us. I've got one on the wall here. Um, so, um they're, they're, uh, we, we, we could get you one of those, I'm sure, actually, Andrew, if you're interested. Yeah, sounds good. Um, it, it's an Anfield wrap design, um, but it, it, it sort of plays on the whole theme of Liverpool, Liverpool, Delaware being the first state, um, and hopefully Liverpool being the first team. Anyway, back to last season. Let's, let's start there. <laughs> um, and, and sure, feel, feel free to chime in, but I, I'm going to start um, on September 28th, 2019. Um, and that was when Liverpool won away at Sheffield United. Um, few things to call out in that game. Um, Liverpool not creating a lot of clear-cut chances, but the ones that were being created, um, I think you describe, I'll, I'll just quote, Bobby continued his fine run of laying on high-quality chances, with this one taking his total in the league to six for the season. This was the seventh game, I think. And only Kevin De Bruyne has created more and Firmino is already already only too short of his 2018-19 league total. So, so it's, it's clear that we were winning matches that on paper were statistically pretty close, um, but it's also clear that certain players look like they were playing a lot better than they appear to be now. Um, what, what is your take? Let's start with, uh, with Bobby Firmino. What's, what's your take on kind of where he is right now? Um, I think the bigger problem for Firmino is probably with his finishing, just not putting chances away um, more often than not. Um, so yesterday he had a couple of um, shots, not great chances, but, you know, a couple of chances that, that he didn't put away. Um, I mean, in terms of um, like clear cut chances, creating them, uh, let me just have a look. He's on nine for the season and the most is Robertson, Salah and Trent on 10. So he's sort of doing about as well as, as anybody um, on that front. Um, I think it's quite interesting you pick out the, the Sheffield United game in a way because that was a game where Liverpool did have some clear-cut chances, but they, they won thanks to a mistake by the Sheffield United goalkeeper, I'm sure people remember. But it was a long-range shot from Wijnaldum, which Dean Henderson spilled into the net. And that is the sort, it, it wasn't like they relied on that sort of thing a lot last season, but there's an example of where it happened. Whereas this season, they seem to be wasting a lot of, of clear-cut chances, particularly in the last couple of months when they come along, but they're not very often scoring the sort of low probability chances either. So that's an example there last season where that sort of thing, it, it kind of worked out in the end and it, and it sort of stopped working out for them, I guess. 
so if I think about, uh, so one of the things I should have, have, have started off with actually is, uh, I said this before we started recording, but when you were with us, uh, I think it was July 18th um, last year in what we're now calling season one, um, it was episode 20. If you're looking at this and you haven't seen it, definitely worth a look. You said that the teams don't do, um, team, no one has done what Liverpool have done over over the last two seasons, four, three seasons. And you kind of cited Manchester City as an example of like the third season drop-off. Um, it, it feels like that, you know, it, that's one place to start, but there's probably lots of places you could go where sort of the fine margins didn't, didn't exist, aren't existing in the same way this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've not sort of studied these previous three season um, periods in, in any sort of depth, but yeah, the history shows that teams traditionally fall off a bit in the third season and they probably don't have or probably didn't have the injury issues to the extent that Liverpool have, because it's hard to remember any team having the injury issues which Liverpool have had this season. So you've got the fact that it's hard to maintain the level of form anyway. Then you've got the injuries. Then you've got the most VAR overturns uh, for any team in last season or this season has gone against Liverpool. Then you've got the lack of set-piece goals because they were pretty much all scored at, well, say with Van Dijk on the pitch, he was on the pitch continually last season, but basically since he got injured and then when Matip got injured, we've barely scored a set-piece goal because we've got no tall guys in the in the penalty area. Funnily enough, we mentioned Firmino, I think his goal against Tottenham was, is probably the only one we've scored um, without Matip and Van Dijk on the pitch, if I remember rightly. So, um, yeah, I you know, it it wasn't necessarily inevitable that they were going to, you know, do a lot worse this season, but history suggests it was likely. And then you've got all these other issues to sort of factor in as well, which are just beyond what sort of seems like reasonable luck. You know, it's not just bad luck on one front, it's bad luck on sort of three or four, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it speaks to, so I'm going to go to the, the game against City, which um, at Anfield last year, which, which from my memory... We we were absolutely dominant, statistically not not doesn't doesn't quite bear out. <laughs> but what you say is um, both teams had two clear cut chances with all four being headers. Well, Liverpool con- converted theirs. The visitors put theirs off target, which is likely why the Reds won by two goals. Um, so, yeah, so- I mean that that I mean I suppose that's a pretty sort of neat summary of things. Um, I think that another thing from that game as well, of course, is that um, Fabinho scored a goal from um, outside the area to open the yeah. scoring. And um, I can't remember the figures offhand, but Liverpool have barely scored a goal from outside the box this season either. Um, Oxlade-Chamberlain was the top scorer of them for us last year and he's sort of barely played and he, and he hasn't sort of been great when he has all these little sort of 20 minutes here and there. Fabinho scored a couple. He's obviously been playing further back more often than not. And lots of, uh, you'll see on Twitter during a, a game, people will say, oh, Liverpool never shoot from, from outside the box. And when you look at the stats, they've, I'm pretty sure only Man City had taken more shots from outside the box last time I checked. Now, I'm not saying they've been taking good shots from outside the box, but I think people confuse that with them not taking any at all. But um, yeah, like I say, I think, you know, Oxlade-Chamberlain particularly, but Fabinho got a couple that's just another sort of area that, that's dropped off. So that Man City game last year, obviously Fabinho scores with a header. Salah then scores with a header a few minutes later. Mane in the second half makes it 3-0. And obviously City come back a bit, but Liverpool hang on. And um, yeah, something else I wrote about 
um, earlier this week uh, for the Echo. Again, that's another good example, I suppose, with that game is that Liverpool went 2-0 up. And they went 2-0 up, I think, in six of their first seven games last season. And they've only done it six times in total this season, in the league at least. Um, obviously, we saw an example at, um, in Europe last week against Leipzig, you know, 2-0 up and, and saw the game out. So um, they, they were very good last season at scoring, getting in front and then increasing the lead. And obviously, with the defence they had last year, as soon as they were two goals up, I mean, you know, they'd have won a lot of games going one goal up, but two goals up, you know, they didn't concede more than once very often at all. Whereas now... I'd still be reasonably confident they'd hang on if they were 2 0 up, but it's just not happening. It's just not happening often enough. You know, they're not conceding more than one in most of their games, but they're just not scoring two often enough. And they just can't be certain of a, of a clean sheet at the moment, which is understandable with all the chopping and changing at the back. But it's just, it, uh, yeah, it's costing them in a big way. Yeah. If you had to pick out one of the things that, that, that you'd go back to, uh, I know it's it's a combination of factors, but what what's the one biggest trigger you think that that's sort of causing the inability to get the the second goal? Sometimes they're not even getting the first goal, and then the inability to cl- keep clean sheets. Well, I mean, I think the clean sheets is just you know it's eighteen central defensive partnerships now, and I think how many games have they played this season? Thirty six or something like that in all competitions. It's like every two games. The longest run um, by a pair of centre-backs is, is two and a half games. Um, interestingly, there's been two examples of, of two centre-backs starting, starting three games in a row. And in both instances, one of them's had to go off after half an hour. Mm. Uh, we had Fabinho go off against Michelin at Anfield. And then we had Henderson yesterday in his third successive game with um, Quebec. Yeah. So clearly that's not helping. Um and I think the goal thing is, is, is probably harder because they are creating clear-cut chances. I am um, working on an article today for Tompkins Times looking at the last 10 games, which is from Newcastle onwards for Liverpool. Um, but in that period, only three teams in the Premier League have had more clear-cut chances, but only three teams have scored fewer goals. Hmm. They, are, they are having decent chances quite a lot of the time, um, but they're not converting them. And they're just too susceptible to, to conceding. Like yesterday and in other games at Anfield, as soon as they go a goal behind, the other team who are probably playing defensively anyway are happy to play even more defensively because they're a goal in front. And I think at Leicester, Liverpool played reasonably well for the first hour or so, but they were only one goal up. And then they've just got that risk of, you know, of conceding a goal. I think they were unlucky with the VAR offside. But those things are just sort of, of sort of going against them. So I think the lack of solidity at the back is probably the greater of the two issues because they are at least having some decent chances up front. They're just not taking them. Whereas I think they look like they're going to concede at least once every match. And I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, probably affecting the confidence up front as well. It's certainly affecting the midfield they can put out and all these sorts of things. It's just, um, yeah bit of a mess of a, of a combination of all these of all these issues really so, so we'll, we'll definitely touch on officiating in VAR because I've passed over comments already in those sections you've written about uh, Anthony Taylor and, and John Moss but <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the next one is kind of interesting to me particularly because it was the last game I was at Anfield was for the um, you know at the time 
desperately dull one nil win over Wof- Wofford, where Wofford had some great chances. And, and you, you you talk about this about the, their issue was uh, why they got relegated. Basically, was they were good at creating chances, they just couldn't put them away. I guess that is until they played us later in the season. But that's a we'll get, we'll get to that. We'll brush over that. Yeah. yeah well, 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 that was actually one of the things I'd called out. You know, it's because it, it is interesting because statistically, again, that game was not a three nil. It just so happened that. Watford did the absolute opposite of what they did at Anfield, which was spurn every good chance that they uh, they had. Um, you, you, you said, so one of the things you're going to say in here, actually, is you talk about um, Salah and fast break goals uh, and how many of the goals he scores on, on a break. Uh, and and it, the thing, reading that now and looking at the way everyone, apart from RB Leipzig, seems to want to set up against us is... We're not getting any fast break goals anymore. No, um, no not many. Um, there was, um, I know the uh, Vinaldum goal against Wolves, which was probably quite a while ago now. It feels quite recent. Was uh, was the first um, fast break goal Liverpool had scored this season. Wow. There was the brilliant mm. goal at uh, at West Ham. Obviously, was one. Um, I'm just looking at the list. Apparently, there's four, but I can't remember the other two off the top of my head. Um, but no, I mean you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's. Um, Teams, particularly at Anfield, are just restricting the space more than than I can remember. Um, and maybe they were doing it last season before, and Liverpool could could sort of get through anyway. But yeah, it it, it seems to be intensified um, in the last few weeks since that West Brom game, basically. Um, but of course, again, in games like that, you you tend to get quite a lot of set pieces, and you right. you, you know. I'm not, I don't think they were playing as deeply as some of these teams, but a good example last season was the Brighton game. Goal from a free kick, goal from a corner. Mm-hmm. And they get one back, but Liverpool win 2-1. The Man United game uh, at Anfield, the first goal was was from a corner. Um, I'm sure that, I mean, there will be others. I'm just going off the top of my head. But, and you know, I think they scored 20 goals from set pieces um, last season, if I remember rightly. And that's just basically been wiped out. They've got six this season. And I think two of those were on the first day. Van Dijk scored one against Leeds and, and Salah scored one that day and stuff. So it's just another avenue that's dried up um, entirely. But it's such a useful weapon when you're playing against teams who defend deep because it's an opportunity to kind of negate that from a, from a corner or a free kick. Um, but they don't even seem to be barely creating chances, much less scoring goals from set pieces at the minute. Yeah. One other thing I do want to touch on, so remind, please remind me of this, is, is just about the positioning of the fullbacks, because there was a bit of chatter on one of our um, mm-hmm. yesterday about... I wanted, to, I wanted to ask about that, if, if, that's, if, he, had, if he had any insight on, on that in terms of how we're setting up. Um, so, it, it, yeah. so it... So it I, I just brought it up today and it's something I thought about before and I, I feel like I've seen others say it. It doesn't it doesn't seem like against these low block teams we're pushing the fullbacks as far forward as we were last year. And to some extent I can understand that because you don't have Van Dyke and Gomez back there. I mean, Gomez may be the fastest player on the team. So you have the recovery pace and obviously there's Van Dyke and then you usually have Fabinho, you know, a defensive midfielder. So that's – so. Is, is that what's happening? Are we are we are we not pushing them as far forward in order to prevent against the counterattack? Is it just something that like, you know, we're we're too reluctant to put the pedal to the metal against these teams and try to, you know, really press press forward 
with the fullbacks high because so the reason I, I brought it up today is because somebody said, well, not enough of the midfielders are getting into the box. And from watching the way we play, and again, I haven't gone back and watched the games last year to, to really compare one for one, but from what I can remember, a lot of times it seems like the midfielders take their position sort of off of where the fullback's playing a little bit. Um, and um, I just, I, I don't know if, the, I don't know if that's accurate or, or kind of like what, what you think about that. Um, it's just, you know, again, it, to me, a lot of this just goes back to, to Van Dyke really. I mean, it's just sort of throwing everything off. He's, he's like, you mentioned the set pieces, which, you know, I mean, if Van Dyke's playing, they basically need to double mark him on a set piece, you know, and, and then it frees everyone else up. And, yeah. um, and then it just allows us to do a lot more than we're able to do otherwise. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if he's not scoring um, from a set piece, then he's a big distraction for the, for the other team. Um, with regards to fullbacks, it's not something I've sort of looked into. I mean, I sort of inclined to agree just on sort of, you know, instinct from, from watching the games. I mean, I'm just while you were talking, pulled up um, Alexander Arnold's stats and he's having as many touches in the final third as he was last season. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel that way necessarily. Um, I think I think a big problem as well, whether it's so much the position of the fullbacks, but again, with teams playing deeper, it negates their ability to score from, from crosses, which was another big thing last season. Um, some of those are from set pieces, but the ones in open play as well. I, I did an article recently and I sort of went through the crosses from, from some of the games. And what you realise is when they scored goals from crosses last season, there was hardly anybody in the box at the point they took the cross. And then the, the, the forwards charge into the box, get on the end of the cross and score. And now you've got Robertson and Alexander Arnold trying to cross and there's five, six, seven, eight defenders in the box. And it's not that you can't score from that, but clearly it's going to be much, much, much harder. Um, so, yeah, I think that there seems to be a slight difference in how they're crossing as well, like sort of sometimes from further forward and sort of cutting back mm-hmm. rather than sort of whipping it sort of into the box. It feels like they were doing more um, last season. But I mean, I don't have any sort of say stats to sort of back it up. But um, I mean, to be fair to like obviously defending teams, that's their choice. It's, it's sensible for them to do that. And clearly Liverpool have been playing this way for a couple of years. It's, it's sort of another sort of theory as to why teams drop off in the third years, because the opposing teams have had long enough to sort of figure out, okay, well, we're going to play like this and, and sort of negate the strengths. So, um, yeah, but as I say, apparently Alexander Arnold's in the final third as much as he ever was, but it doesn't seem to be uh, doing quite as much good there. Yeah, there's one other thing I wanted to ask about in terms of the chances. Um, I, I've been surprised when I've actually looked at the the XG numbers and and some of the other stats um, to to see how many chances or, or the quality of chances we're having. It seems like, you know, at least from an XG perspective, it's dropped off, but maybe not as much as as you would think. Um, and I'm just wondering if is that. Um, is it the way we're creating chances? It, it seems like maybe it's a bit more random than it than it used to be. Where like you know we tend to be like a very well drilled team and people kind of know where each other are. And so when we create a chance, people are sort of ready and they you know they, they've done this before. Whereas now, and I'm thinking yesterday particularly with Mane, he got those two headers, and for whatever reason, it just it just felt like he wasn't 
quite set or quite ready, like the way that he has been in the past. And I wonder if that's more just because we're, we're just not drilling. We don't have the time to, to sort of um, practice and drill the way we have in the past, particularly with so many players coming in and out. Like, could that be part of the explanation as to why we're not finishing a lot of those? You know, I, I don't know if there's any sort of, you know, underlying statistic, statistical um, analysis you can do on that. But, you know, if the quality chances are there, is it, is it, are we creating chances any differently, I guess? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, you know, not in terms of sort of talking statistically, but if you remember like at the start of the season, when they won the league, Liverpool didn't really sign anybody um, yeah. of note. And lots of people were up in arms about it. Um, but one advantage of that is that your, your players are all used to playing with each other and they sort of should know kind of what they're going to do and where they're going to go and things like this. Now, obviously, you can't not buy any players you know, forever. Um, but I think, yeah, there, there is a sort of um, an element of that, just that uncertainty is there now. You know, Jones is playing this season when he wasn't there last season. And I think generally he's done pretty well, but he's a new cog in the midfield and he plays in a slightly different way. You've obviously not got Henderson or Fabinho in the midfield most of the time. You've not got Van Dijk um, spraying passes from the back. Henderson has been doing that a bit, to be fair Mm -hmm. to him. But again, it's going to be different to Van Dijk doing it. Um, So, yeah, I think there's definitely a thing in that the, the relationships on the pitch are not going to be as well formed um, as they were before. It's inevitable. Um, I think as well, obviously, there's a lot of talk uh, amongst fans and stuff about whether Thiago um, is kind of almost a bad signing or whether, you know, what impact he's having. Is he slowing the team down? Things like this. I mean, possibly, but, you know, the team has to evolve. You know, the team... The midfield of Liverpool used to get criticised for not creating any chances. Now they've got one of the best passers in the world in there, and now he's part of the problem. And of course, both things can be true. Um, but again, it, it's just something slightly different in the way we play. You know, Thiago, um, I don't think he, he, he hadn't signed at the start of the season, had he? I don't think he joined mm-hmm. when the season began, no. Yeah. So he's coming in midway through. He plays a couple of games, looks pretty good, and then misses like three months or whatever it was. Um, after the previous derby. So he's not having an opportunity to sort of learn those relationships with the other players. He's doing it now on the pitch at a time when Liverpool are really struggling for results, which is obviously not doing anybody any favours. You know, I think the the Henderson disallowed goal from the previous derby, um, I did write a very small piece at the time, but it, it was a good example, I think, of what they're trying to do, like Thiago feeding in the balls into the box um, in that game, he did one for Mane. Obviously, it was slightly offside, if you believe VAR. I'm sure Liverpool fans disagree. <laughs> but uh, point is, it was given offside. But he threaded a ball through the Everton defence to Mane, who then did the cutback to Henderson to score. And I think that's possibly what they were going to try and do, is because, team, you know, we've been attacking through the fullbacks for two years. We need a guy who can go through the, um, through the defence sort of centrally a bit more for the wide forwards to kind of pick up on because at that time he was passing to Mane and Salah far more than anybody else, albeit he'd only played two games, but in those two games, he was way ahead of everybody else. So it got me thinking was that goal or that disallowed goal, what they're basically looking to do. And, and perhaps it is, perhaps it isn't, perhaps it's coincidence, but 
it's something they were probably looking to make a shift and they just haven't had the opportunity to do it properly with no preseason, him coming in late, him com- him getting injured for, for sort of three months. Um, I mean, I suppose if you want to try and be optimistic, I guess we have to hope that they're making the relationships now that will pay off next season using this almost as something of a preseason. But of course, the team has to win games now. It doesn't sort of work like that. But hopefully those relationships are starting to sort of build as, as the season goes on. But even then, if they are being built, it's in a sort of slightly makeshift midfield and, and everything that goes with that. So, um, yeah, it is hard to say. But, um, yeah, they're, they're, they will have lost these sort of key relationships that were so important um, in the last couple of seasons have just sort of disappeared, basically. Yeah, uh, Paul, I want to let you get back to... Um, but on the Thiago um, comment, there was a... Uh, I hadn't seen this until, I guess it was two, two or three days ago. Klopp um, made an interesting comment about Thiago and the Thiago situation. I guess it was a couple of weeks ago. And he talked about how, you know, they, they wanted to bring in Thiago. He, he played the six for Bayern, but not really a six. He kind of played alongside alongside another six, basically. And um, you got to go back and sort of see the clip. Um, but he talked about, you know, he came in. He had to sit out because of COVID. Then he plays a couple games. He nearly breaks his leg. He's out for two or three months. Comes back, and they have to throw him right in. Um, he's playing every game, um, playing every two, three days, and he's he's basically having to change the way he's played for ten years to adjust to our our team. Um, and there's no time to train to, to do that. So you know, it's just another thing that that uh, you know. Most people on Twitter don't take into account, I guess, you know. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good point, though. I remember um, it crossed my mind. If you remember back pre-season, which feels like about 500 years ago, um, Liverpool did play uh, with a 4-2-3-1 formation um, fairly often, which is not something they had traditionally done in the, in the actual competitive games. Um, certainly not in 1920. They did a bit in 2018-19, but it wasn't something they generally used. And so it, it, it got me thinking, well, that's what Thiago played at um, Bayern, generally 4-2-3-1. Were Liverpool looking to do something similar here? It hasn't happened, um, whether, again, that was the intention and they've had to sort of throw it out with everything else that's going on, I don't know. But I suspect he would have been able to settle better had, perhaps had we done that. There was, some, there was also some games, I say that, actually, we did he was out injured, but I think we possibly used it when um, Jogo Jota played with the, the regular forwards. I think we did use it, didn't we? Yeah, we had points. a couple of games with Jota, yeah. And, and it was partially people put it down to injuries at the time, but maybe there yeah. was more to it. Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, it could be injuries. It could be, you know, my sort of theory that it's to help Thiago, whatever it is. You know, there's just so many factors that it's it's hard mm. to know for sure what, what the plan is. But it could be something we'll see in future when things, you know, settle down. Maybe get back to the they'll uh, get back to that four two three one. But yeah, it's not been seen in this recent run anyway. And I think one of the things is there's been no time, right, to make any adjustments with the run of games. I think that that's been been huge. Um, did want didn't want to pick up one thing and for getting back to a couple of the things that, that that you'd written about in the book. But uh, it, there is a feeling, and and uh, I'll. I'm going to talk about the Watford away last season uh, game, um, but the, the it, visually it does not look. The tempo looks a little off at times. That they aren't 
you know, you know, apart from the fast breaks, they don't tend to move the ball quite as quickly to the naked eye. I don't know if there's anything in the numbers that sort of bear that out. Yeah, it's not something that's kind of um, available in the sort of publicly available statistics. You know, the club will have all this sort of information and, you know, speed of, of movement and things like that. But it's not something sort of, you know, amateur guys like myself can... Uh, can can sort of pull out I think yeah it's it seems that way and I guess that sort of again it ties into the the Thiago thing you know that Liverpool aren't quite as direct as they were you know people would call them a, a long ball team as a as a bit of an insult but they sort of were a long ball team but they just played it very very well you know long balls looking for speedy guys on the wing not long balls to a big sort of beanpole center forward sort of long ball play like used to get in the 80s and stuff like that um yeah, I mean, it it does feel like they're um, not sort of as as swift and direct as they were, but it, it's probably quite a tricky thing to to measure, I suppose. Yeah. I, I I picked on the Watford away game, the one where we the first game we the first game we lost last season, um, mm. because I, I kind of wonder whether there was a bit of a foreshadowing of what, what, some of what we've seen. We already touched on the crossing, but um, here, here's what you say. Um, Liverpool wasted 25 of the 26 crosses they attempted. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, the player who has completed the most crosses in the Premier League this season, didn't succeed with any of his, his uh, 10 attempts, while Andy Robertson drew a blank from eight. So, so uh, <laughs> that looks like the sort of the, um, I don't know, if, if you were a, an opposition, how well Watford was setting up to, to make your crosses not very effective, um, something seemed to have worked for them on that day. Yeah, I mean, it could be what I was saying about with the with the recent matches. Obviously, we'd have to go back and have a look. But um, yeah, I mean, it it's not sort of rocket science, I guess. But if you if you pack your own um, penalty area, it does make crossing, you know, very very difficult. Um, and sometimes it's just the crosses aren't good enough. You know, it's not always that it's you know credit to the defending team. It's um, you know Liverpool's fault in part as well. But um, yeah, I'd actually forgotten about writing that. So I suppose, yeah, perhaps that was a sort of uh, a hint of what was to come from the from the opposition teams based on what happened, based on what happened that day, I guess. Yeah. And, and, you do, so, and to put it into context, you do say that, that in this game, Liverpool had 18 passes in the Wofford box, which bettered the season average of 14. Um, so it wasn't like they, you know, kind of weren't attacking. Of course, the, the, the I think, I don't know if this was the, only time in the season, but um, opted to, to define defensive errors, which led to shots there were three by Liverpool in that game, which I'm guessing is probably a high for the season. Hmm. Yeah, they wouldn't make they wouldn't make three um, they wouldn't make three very often. I, something I wrote about recently, yet another issue <laughs> we're having to deal with Liverpool having to deal with. They didn't make many errors, which led to goals last season. There was one in that Watford game because I think it was the third goal. Trent did a bad back pass into the area, which they took the ball and scored from. But they only made five errors leading to goals last season and, and um, three of them didn't really affect the result. Like, if that's 2-0 Watford and it ends 3-0 Watford, well, it doesn't really matter because Liverpool were going to lose anyway. Yeah. And similarly, some of the others were in games that they won anyway. And the only one where the errors made any real difference to the score was the um, Arsenal game. And even then, they'd already won the league. But... They were 1-0 up, Van Dijk made an error, Alisson made an error and they lost 2-1. So that's one game in the whole of last season where errors by Liverpool, at least Opta defined errors, yeah. um, really made any difference to the result. And this season, I mean, even in the last few weeks, you've obviously got the Manchester City 
and Leicester City games where mistakes by Allison have put Liverpool behind. Um, and there was a couple of other examples as well, but I've disappeared off the top of my head. Other games they've lost. Oh, the Aston Villa game, obviously, the uh, mistake by Adrian led to a goal and stuff like that. So these errors that they're making where they didn't even really cost them, particularly last season, and it's just another thing that's, that's gone wrong this year, I suppose. Yeah, another thing I heard on that one, that specific topic recently, it said, um, you know, when we've made errors in the past, it's very rarely been the center back or the goalie. And when a center back or the goalie makes an error, it leads to a goal much more often than if it's a fullback or midfielder. Um, I don't know if you've seen if you've seen that specifically, Andrew, or not. But um, I could probably look that up for just hang on a second. I mean, <laughs> I, I do know that. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dan Kennett from Anfield Index, yeah, but yeah, yeah he, he's shared some statistics with me when I was working on the errors thing. And, and uh, yeah, he had noticed that obviously the, the amount of errors that lead to a goal is sort of obvious, but it's like, yeah, the further back in the team, the error occurs, the more likely that, you know, it will end in a goal, um, which, which obviously makes sense. Um, just looking at last season, where are we? I do have a list of them here. Um, somewhere. Where are we? Yeah, so obviously some of them um, are errors by Milner or Henderson or Mane even. You know, Mane can give away the ball and if it leads to a, a to a shot, it still goes down as an error, certainly in, in sort of these terms. Um, but obviously now it's been, it's Allison making these mistakes or um, even Van Dijk made one in the, in the Leeds game that, that led to a goal, obviously Liverpool won, so it sort of didn't matter quite so much. But, you know, yeah, as soon as the, the mistakes are happening at the back, then far more chance of being a goal. And of course, mistakes are far more likely when you're on your 18th centre-back partnership of the, of the season. Right, with a, with a 20-year-old uh, playing with a converted midfielder. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a wonder <laughs> there are more mistakes, to be honest, with, yeah. when, you look at it, when you look at it that way, yeah. I, I did hear uh, someone, uh, I can't remember who it was, on the commentary, on the radio commentary yesterday, saying that uh, the, the, what's happening now is something you might have expected when Gomez and, um, and, and Van Dijk were unavailable for the first time, uh, but, the, but people kind of, uh, kind of played beyond themselves, and that's not sustainable. People will revert to mean. If you're not really a central defender, ultimately it's going to kind of catch you out. Yeah, there is something in that, obviously. I mean, I think the interesting thing is that like um, Liverpool's best partnership this season has been Matip and Fabinho, um, who played seven matches and only conceded two goals in those games. Mm. So as much as it is obviously a loss, Van Dijk and Gomez being out, I think had Matip and Fabinho been able to play the majority of the games, we might have got away with it. Um, but obviously Matip has had fairly consistent injury issues, certainly this season. And he was out for quite a lot of last season. The year before, people forget he played quite a lot, but he has had a lot of issues recently. And obviously Fabinho um, has also had a few injuries in his time at Liverpool. So I think, yeah, possibly could have got away with not having Van Dijk and Gomez if they'd have been able to stay fit and, and play the majority of the games. But yeah, since they've gone, then it's really just who's available and who can play and... It feels so. so I'll, go, I'll, I'll come back to a couple of things that you wrote about, but I, I just want to explore for a moment uh, uh, Quebec, because 
what, what do you know about him statistically? Because I, I guess the thing that screams at me is that he's played for a team that's lost a lot of games, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously that that doesn't sort of that doesn't sort of help. Um, I think it's very hard to know, and I'll tell you why. Because, for instance, based on the stats, he's quite good, um, quite good in the air, quite good at winning aerial duels. But somebody like um, Socrates, who was at Arsenal. He was very good in Germany, and then he was rubbish in England. Presumably because it's more direct kind of football, not from every team, but clearly there are some teams who who sort of play that way. Sort of alarm bell for me with Quebec was seeing that he'd given away three penalties already this season, in half a season. Now, obviously, he's playing for a very, very sort of bad team, so they're going to be under the cosh quite a lot, but... If you're making mistakes like that in the penalty box on a regular basis, then it's it's sort of cause for concern. I mean, I do wonder if Davis would have played instead had he not been injured. Comes to Liverpool, immediately gets injured, obviously, um, because he's just the more experienced player and he's played his career in England, albeit not the Premier League, but he's more accustomed to the style of football that, you, that you'll get over here. But obviously he was injured, so Quebec came in. So... Um, I think the thing with Quebec is he's got a lot of potential. As you say, he's only 20, but Liverpool needed him to hit the ground running and that was always going to be a bit of a long shot. It was a long shot they had to take, undoubtedly. You know, it was the right decision to get somebody in and you are limited in who you can get. But they needed him to really get going immediately and um, obviously there's been a few few sort of issues. I don't think he's been horrendous throughout, but that there have been a few issues, but you'd expect that from a young player coming to play in England for the first time, you know, it'd be a bit of a miracle if he, if he had been amazing from, from the start. And there's, as we keep saying, no time for training really, or, or bedding in even on the training ground. It's just go and play the match and sort of see how you get on almost. But it was very kind of people to vote him man of the match uh, against RB Leipzig. Um, but uh... I, I felt that was slightly generous, and, but my hope was that he would see that and somehow feel like uplifted. Well, yeah, it's, be- it's better than sending him or anyone else abuse on social media, I guess. But um, yeah, I'm not sure he was quite man of the match, but uh, anything that'll, that'll help his confidence is all right by me, I think. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. There's, there's, there's tons that I don't think, I think probably run out of time before we get to some of these things. But one thing I, I did not realize was you, you write uh, about the West Ham away game where Salah scores penalty. Um, so I do want to touch on officials. Don't forget that. Um, but you, <laughs> um, that uh, he, he is on a, rem- a run of 30 Premier League wins, which I guess he extended at some point because he was, a, he was out for the Man United draw at Old Trafford, um, <clears throat> which is the most by any player since... Um, the Premier League became the Premier League. That's 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 a pretty phenomenal statistic. As usual, with statistics around Salah, usually seem to get kind of not much attention. But that, that's, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine it's probably a, a record that may stand for for a very long time because obviously he was playing for Liverpool at a time when they won twenty six of their first twenty seven games, and and as you say, he missed the the, the one draw they had. Um, if I just scroll through, um, so yeah, he played West Ham, he played Southampton, they won, he played Norwich, West Ham again, 
then he played that Watford game we've been talking about. So um, whatever I wrote for that West Ham away game, he added three more or three more wins on. Um, and then that particular sort of personal run came to an end. And obviously now he's playing every week and we're, we're losing every week. So he's gone from one extreme to the other. But uh, yeah, I think I would imagine 33 wins or, or whatever it was in a row is, is probably not going to be bettered anytime soon. No, that's just uh, unbelievable. We seem to be um, in the habit right now of, uh, of sort of making all those records seem uh, like a long way in the in the distance, right? Um, let's talk about officiating. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned several times about things that we had going against us last season, but uh, it, I, it, we we were chatting about this on our our, uh, our chat group about how what a relief it was to have a referee give fouls for things that looked like fouls on the <laughs> Leipzig game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I think, again, he had some of this stuff yesterday. It's like, uh, we, I mean, we could debate the penalty but that they got, but I'd be interested in <laughs> why weren't the things that where our players went down in the box penalties then. Um, is apart from the emotion that we all obviously all have around this, what 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 is what is it looking like now statistically? Because I know um, Paul Tompkins has done quite a bit yeah. of a deep dive on kind of certain referees and their uh, inability to give Liverpool a penalty. I don't think it's even necessarily um, Liverpool and, and and penalties. I mean, um, yeah, Paul has done lots of research on this sort of thing far more than I have. Mm-hmm. But his findings generally are that, that teams with predominantly English players mm-hmm. get more penalties than teams with foreign players, particularly in um, forward positions. And that's even been the case um, for Liverpool specifically. You know, they got more penalties. Most they ever got was 2013-14 and two thirds of their front three were Raheem Sterling and Daniel Sturridge. And... You know, people think, oh, yeah, surely, you know, Suarez won a few penalties, and I'm sure he probably did. He used to get, he was pretty good at winning handball penalties, I seem to Yeah, remember. I was going to say he would flick it right at someone's hand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, it applies to Liverpool and it generally applies across the board that, you know, when teams have more English players, they win more, more penalties. Now, obviously, you've got to be careful with this sort of thing because you don't want to say that, like, you know, all the, the referees, they were racist or whatever like that. And, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm, sure that's, I'm sure that's not the case, really. But whether, you know, a subconscious bias or whatever it is, it, it, the data suggests that, yeah, English, English players get far more than their fair share of, of penalties. And obviously, with Liverpool having Mane, Firmino and Salah, if that data is sort of continued then then they're not going to get many penalties I mean I did an article for Tompkins Times looking at all the penalty claims from from last season because it seemed a good idea to do it when we'd won the league because you can't be you can't have sour grapes when you've won the league sort of thing if it it hasn't sort of hurt you that badly but um, I think there were a lot that sort of borderline soft decisions I think the interesting thing for me with the penalty claims was from the set pieces again people um, Van Dyke particularly the sort of we mentioned earlier sort of being held around the neck from, a, yeah. from when a corner comes in and stuff like that. I mean, that's a penalty, you know, but Liverpool just weren't and aren't um, really getting them. Excuse me. So, um, yeah, yesterday's penalty was was very strange. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Well, could sit here and rant about referees all day. I, I really try not to. Like, you hear people talk about, oh, it's conspiracies and con- corruption and stuff like that. I sort of try not to believe that kind of thing just for my own sanity as much as anything. But I just think it's, I think it's an incredibly difficult job being a referee. 
the game is faster than ever. It's more analysed than ever. Um, and all of these things are combining. There's more rule changes than ever. So, and I'm sure they do have their own natural biases because we all do. Everybody does, you know. Mm-hmm. That, that you, you can't sort of get away from that. But I do think it's, it's sort of incompetence slash the difficulty of the job rather than a sort of anti-Liverpool conspiracy or whatever, you know, some people might think. Yeah. So, so we've, we, I think we've developed a, a, a view, or at least I think we've developed a view because it's mine, um, that you've got kind of Michael Oliver, who it's like, you know, makes mistakes, but think he's yeah. genuinely as good as anybody. Um, at the opposite end, at the end of the spectrum, you've got um, Martin Atkinson, who I think Paul calls out the statistically, it's, it's just statistically, ah, easy for us to say, statistically wild how many, how few penalties he's ever given for Liverpool. It just doesn't make sense. And everyone else just feels like they have the potential to make really bad calls. Um, like, like, however many of them are there. Uh, and I, I don't know if, if, if that's a fair analysis, but it's certainly where I kind of am. No, I mean, I think, I think most people would agree with you. Certainly Liverpool fans would think it um, it feels that way. I don't think the referees do themselves, and not the referees themselves, the PGMOL, do themselves any favours that pretty much all of the referees are from Manchester. So anytime they give something yeah. bad against Liverpool, you're just opening yourselves up to, you know, accusations of, of, of bias. Like um, Mike Dean doesn't, or very rarely does Liverpool or Everton games. And yet the referees from Manchester do the Manchester clubs. Yeah. So... Whatever your view on any of the decisions, straight away it's like, well, there's got to be a chance that, you know, you're again your own inherent bias. If you grew up in Manchester, you probably don't like Liverpool. Let's be honest. Whether you're a United fan, a City fan, or neither, it's just the sort of the the relationship between those two cities. You know, you're you're not going to be sort of a pro Liverpool, the City person, most likely. It's just how it is. So, you know, it's. Um, yeah, I, I agree with what you said before. I think Michael Oliver is 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 definitely the best one. And I, I thought it was really interesting as well that he came out and sort of ad- admittedly a while later, but he admitted to a mistake with the Van Dyke-Pickford thing when, I mean, you never hear referees coming out and admitting they've made a mistake, even yeah. when it seems blatantly obvious after the effect that they have. You know, so fair play to him for at least ad- admitting it after the event. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think he's definitely the best, and the rest, I think, largely are all sort of much of a muchness, as far as I can I can sort of tell. Um, and yeah, like as you said, the Leipzig game. I mean, I'm not sure the ref was you know amazing, but he was just sort of he was sort of what you'd expect from a ref, basically, just a, generally getting most things right. And there'll be a few you disagree with, but that's that's mm-hmm. inevitable. But it just felt like you know. A decent ref and I think I mean again people will probably think of examples but I think in European games that tends to be yeah the, case. the referees are generally pretty fair at least it seems that way yeah. it's it, it, as a Liverpool fan and again like we're all biased but it does seem like in the European games whether you think the ref is good or not there doesn't seem to be a specific bias against Liverpool like and and, I, and for me at least a lot of it a lot of it comes down to Salah and to a lesser extent Mane. It's just like, it seems like, you know, you watch Harvey Barnes, for example, and I think Harvey Barnes is a very good player, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, how's he getting some of these calls, but Mane and Salah get, you know, just kicked as hard as they possibly can across the leg or grabbed around the neck 
and and just and you get nothing you know it's it's hard to it's it's just hard to figure um and, and the other i was gonna say the other one that I, I pointed out in our our chat recently was um for me the last couple of games where kabak and, and nat phillips have played like i've noticed the difference between how nat phillips and kabak are treated like nat phillips in almost every game we joke around about it he'll go up for a header or, and just plow through the player and they give nothing and Kabak, I feel like and there's been two games now where he's been carded and you're like, what, what's, what's the card for? You know, like he, he hardly even touched the guy. Um, it's just strange. I mean, it's, it's hard to figure, but you know, there's no, there's no way to really do any kind of statistical analysis on that. I guess it's just, you can suppose that there's bias. Maybe you can compare it to similar uh, fouls yeah. called, but never in that particular situation in the same game. So. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can add is, again, from Paul Tompkins' research on penalties, but it was basically the same thing at the defensive end of the pitch, i.e. players from overseas give away more penalties, you know, for the percentage of players that there are than the sort of English defenders, which is sort of what you were saying there, the difference between how Phillips and Quebec have been treated and things like that. It's just sort of, it's more of the same, I, I suppose, the same sort of issue, but yeah. What can we say? On top of that, I don't know really. But. Yeah, it's 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 hard. You know, it's a hard one to like really nail down, other than kind of our opinions and what what we perceive. But that's what makes it fun to talk about, I guess. We should have a theme on Arsenal fan TV as well. Yeah, as long as you get red carded every time. It's, yeah, and I do think there is a there is some you know kind of oh it's him kind of about some of the calls that he gets against him but what one 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 thing that, that probably is measurable um and we we still i think have the lowest number of yellow cards in the premier league we, we did last time i checked which was probably about a month ago um it seems to me though even the cards we get seem soft compared to what some other teams do and i wonder if there's a, a cards versus fouls ratio thing that uh, that that would suggest that we're overcarded for for the way we play yeah, I suppose with that, I mean, there could be, yeah, I suppose with that sort of thing, it's a little bit tricky in that obviously not all fouls are equal, if you see what I mean, you know, mm-hmm. how you foul somebody and where you're fouling them is is sort of more likely to um, to draw a, to draw a, a yellow card. Um, but if we just have a quick look, yeah, Liverpool, only two teams have made fewer fouls than Liverpool this season. Um and on the yellow cards, uh, Man City have had one fewer yellow card than Liverpool. So, yeah, uh, in terms of ratio, I'm, I'm not sure. But it does seem at least that Liverpool, you know, don't get many yellows and don't make many fouls, which at least makes some sense. But yeah. as we say, you'd, you'd probably want to know where these fouls were taking place and things like that to, uh, to sort of really check it out. Yeah. Well, presumably one of those yellow cards was the Mane one yesterday, uh, the counts up to date. For him complaining about being fouled. Oh, <laughs> well, that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's... called against him, right? Yeah, that's not even a foul, is it? That's dissent or whatever. Yeah. So, 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 and yesterday specifically, I wanted to just call this out. I know we're not doing a review of the game, but Gomez or Gomes, I was like, what did he have? Seven fouls before they gave him a yellow card. It was, it was like watching Fel when they used to do the same thing with Fellaini, where he would just make these horrific fouls over and over again, and he somehow wouldn't get a card. It's 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 hard hard to figure that sometimes, but it's like the F- Fernandinho factor, right? Yeah, yeah. Or Fernandinho is another one. There's there's certain players. It seems like they just are very reluctant to give a yellow card. I don't know. 
But, but the problem is, um, where are we? Let's have a look. Gomez, according to the referee, made two fouls yesterday. Now, you and I might think he right. made seven fouls or whatever. They weren't called, yeah. Yeah, but as soon as they're not called, you're not going to get booked. Obviously, you're not going to get booked for them. So, um, yeah. yeah, officially, in the view of the ref, he made um, two fouls, which is the same as, as Mane, for instance, Robertson, Alexander-Arnold, two fouls. Um, in fact, nobody made more than two fouls on either team. But, um, yeah, it's that thing you think he's going to get booked for all the fouls, but, of course, the ref's not giving a foul, so he's, uh, <laughs> he's not going to book him. Jurgen Klopp didn't agree with the referee either, because if you remember, he was on the sideline doing this. Yeah. Presumably <laughs> yeah. counting Gomez's fouls. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, again, it's sort of, it is what it is, I suppose. The problem this, is when you're a football fan, you always think the ref's against you, whatever the right. truth of it is, I think. That's the hard part. Yeah. The bias. You, you know that you have bias. You know, you're biased one way to begin with, but. I just realized this won't work very well on audio, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Counting fingers. <laughs> yeah. fingers. Counting <laughs> fingers. That's, yeah. So, so let's, 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 let's round it out. Hey, if, if, you're, um, if you haven't got a copy, we highly recommend from 18 to 19. It's got a lot of... Um, oh, <laughs> there's one too. Um, we will have a raffle coming up for a copy that uh, Andrew is sending us. Um, so please reach out and uh, find out more details on that. Um, uh, last thing, uh, looking ahead, um, what 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 are you? Um, I mean, you, I think you called the season quite accurately last time you were on. So if you, if you look ahead to what's left of this season and what have we got now? Thirteen league games, um, and hopefully at least a few more Champions League games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we look ahead to next season. What what, what do you see? What, um, what 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 do you think is likely to happen here on in? Um, in the league, I've lost all confidence that they'll finish in the top four. Um, I think they just look kind of mentally shattered, um, understandably. I think we all are. Um, And teams are playing in a way that's going to make it very difficult for Liverpool to pick up results. But strangely, I think they will have a chance of doing reasonably well in the Champions League. Um, there's only ever been one instance of a team coming back from a 2-0 home defeat to go through, which was Man United against PSG a couple of years ago. So we can be reasonably confident that they'll make it to the quarterfinals. And then it's who you get. I mean, um, Porto beat Juventus, um, Sevilla and Dortmund, either of those teams wouldn't be too daunting. And then maybe you're in the semifinals. Um I think teams aren't going to play quite as defensively in Europe as they are, as the Premier League teams are, which can only help Liverpool. Whether they're going to be defensively strong enough to actually go all the way in the Champions League, I think there has to be a big question mark. Um, You know, Leipzig missed a couple of clear-cut chances the other night. Other teams won't be probably as as forgiving, um, uh, particularly if you know we're going to be changing centre-back partnerships again now, most likely. I don't know what the Henderson injury news is, but mm-hmm. it didn't look good, obviously. So, you know, is it going to be Kabak and Phillips, Kabak and Davis, Davis and Phillips? Um, I mean, at least they're centre-backs by trade, I guess, but there's just no time, as we've been discussing, for them to sort of build up any, any kind of relationship. I mean, you, you'd hope they can pick a pair for Sheffield United next week. I mean, that's about as easy a game as they're going to get at the moment, probably because of how they're struggling. 
And even that probably won't be easy because they'll fancy their chances against Liverpool. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not confident they're going to finish in the top four, but I think, weirdly, they could do pretty well in the, in the Champions League because yeah. the, the type of football suits them, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly, if we get to uh, Istanbul, you've got to feel like there's some magic power there that's the, might might come their way. But uh, that, that's well, maybe they used it all up in 2005. The, the power of Istanbul, I think they used quite a large chunk that time, didn't they? But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they, if they get through, then yeah, obviously that's the mm-hmm. sort of massive omen in their favour, isn't it? It would. It would. Well, it, it would be enough to spook the opposition for sure, wouldn't it? It's like. The yeah, that's true. That's true. Hopefully, hopefully, that's a that's a long way in the future. Uh, Andrew, yes. As once again, awesome to have you on uh, the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for sharing uh, again the the book with us and sharing some of the, the information from it, and uh, and saving us from having to think too hard about yesterday's uh, Everton game. So yeah, there's there's always another game. We can soon forget about yesterday. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> If the world survives uh, us losing the derby match at home, uh, well, okay. that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just let all your expectations go. That's what I've had to do recently, and then you won't be bothered by it. <laughs> Not as much, anyway. Sad but true. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> On that uplifting note, thank you. Sean. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Subscribe if you haven't already. 